Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Taylor here. You know at our podcast, we were wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women as well as marginalized people who has been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast, Apple, Spotify and Google. It will make a huge differences to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Hey y'all, this is Jessie. <laughs> Hi, this is Helen. And guys, it's one year. One year since Helen and I started this podcast. Helen, how are you feeling? <laughs> it feels quite interesting in a way that I'm looking at my garage band, the recording panel now. It's just very yeah. strange in a way that I don't ever think that I will be able to use my own voice to convey something publicly because I've always been delving mm-hmm. about my own voice. I mean, I've been written mm. blogs and stuff like that. But yeah, 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 it's quite interesting. Like we were talking about it just before we start recording how we wanted to do a podcast because partly last year we had the lockdown and we just thought that, okay, the lot yeah. of things has stopped and maybe we can start doing this. But prior to COVID, we had an idea about doing the podcast the year before, remember? Yeah, actually, we, we started recording on a whim at my parents' place in April 2019. And it was just after I came back from my research trip in to Taiwan. Mm. And it was I remember it was about the trade show models. And really, Helen and I was just meeting every week at my parents' place and just always feeling like we had so much rage and anger and um, so many opinions about what was going on in the world in regards to our unique perspective as Asian women. And historically, we have been not just marginalised, but completely invisible. You know, we're not black enough. We're not white enough. We're kind of somewhere in the middle. And so this podcast was really started as a way to like channel our anger and to do it in a really fun way as well. You know, like Helen and I always always talk about really deeply serious issues, but also there's never a lack of humour, which I think is what I really like whenever we get together and talk. Like we always at least laugh, you know, and like (laughs) laughter is just like so important. I find in like talking about these really heavy issues, right? Mm, Exactly. I think you put it very well. I I don't think I'll be able to say it so smoothly to describe our podcast, but I think the importance is um, representation because when we first started I was looking up exactly you know, the podcast we listened to I mainly listened to Chinese podcasts before we started our own podcast mm. because that's the source mm. that I get about you know what's happening in Asia what's happening in Taiwan mm. and once I started listening to English podcasts I listened mainly the UK based or US based, based podcast yeah, exactly and if you look at um, Australian podcast shows I mean, last 12 months, there's a lot of podcasts that has started just like us, but they're not a lot of diversity in the sense of mm. there's no enough voices that is different and intersectional enough that they can mm. look at things in a different perspective. Because like for us, most of the time when we look at 
social issues, most likely it's looking from one angle and that's about it. But, you know, we try to open it up and dissect the issues and problems and looking at it from different perspectives and different angles. That's why, like, both of us are very keen in social justice, not just in the sense when we're talking about, you know, just purely Asian or just purely female. We talk about justice against power as well, which very relatable of what we're going to talk about later today about what hap- what's happening in Xinjiang in China. Yeah. So it's mm. just not based in one perspective, I guess. Yeah, which I think um, really is so important in any culture that wants to become a better society, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. That, um, shares the power equally amongst fellow citizens, regardless of um, your ability or colour, sexuality, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm making some sort of like civic speech right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just rambling, by the way, totally just rambling. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start yeah. with um, just looking back what had happened this week. I found something that was, well, I didn't found it. It's just very publicly presented on every social media about how the oh, government is tackling how to educate high school students about uh, consent. You know, the of course, it's a yeah. milkshake <laughs> analogy, which yeah, yeah. I watched it and I just thought that. Who the fuck wrote the script, honestly? I wonder who are those people. Like, yeah, I, I know. I'm more like I tried to do a lot of digging and made a, f- a few phone calls to the relevant bureaucrats and, you know, of course, I've got completely ignored. But um, I would be curious as to see mm-hmm. how many white people, how many mm-hmm. men were in the room when they were writing up this script, probably all white men um, or, or straight and all, like, you know, um, in their 60s. Um, but uh, it reminded me of that um video that a youtube video about consent that my mm-hmm. friend showed me a few years ago about uh, making a cup of tea do you remember yeah that? yeah i remember the cup of tea one it's yeah the cup of tea analogy yeah it's very straightforward i i watched that video a couple of years ago and i thought that that mm. was very well put but in the sense that unless that you understand the whole situation and mm. It was animated, wasn't it? It wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. like, yeah, Real it people. was like a bit yeah. of a uh, narrative kind of scene, explanatory. Whereas the milkshake video, it just, I, I can't understand what kind of an uh, idea they're trying to convey to a yeah. group of students because it seems to me it's more like an anti-bully video. There's no mm. real yeah. explanations about rape. There's no um, thorough discussions about sex and there there might be a bit of elements of consent but that's about it yeah yeah um i guess before we delve right into it um uh, for the people who haven't seen it it's basically an eight like six to eight minute video which is far too long um Mm -hmm. where it shows like this teenage couple um in a very kind of curated set um and the style of the set is like in the 60s it's kind of like a milk bar in the 60s kind of think Greece, Mm -hmm. you know and the both girl both the girl and the boy are dressed in like characters that could have come out from greece and um the guy, the girl is like, do you want to try my milkshake? They're both drinking their own milkshakes. The guy's like, no, I don't. And then the girl um, kind of grabs, her, like puts, sort of dunks her hand into her own milkshake and then um, smothers the sort of ice cream milkshake onto the guy's face. Um, and it's kind of like um, basically that point 
is saying like um she has done something which you know she he he did not consent to and and then there's a like a wise um voiceover who is like a man man's voice yeah and um he says like everyone has like a line a boundary and then that was her crossing it and they're like um sort of uh questions where crossing it isn't that violent which is like they gave the example of like do you want pizza and then like and and he said the more violent question would be like can i touch your butt you know um and it's so reductive in the way that they do it i mostly was like irritated by the fact that um they look like like the script was really bad and also they made the kids look like idiots um these people also didn't look like teenagers they look like people in their 20s and then also the most like the the thing that mm-hmm. pissed me off actually the most which is like something i couldn't rant rant on a lot something that um really bothered me was the queer obviously gay brown character um his name he's given the name of oscar in the uh in the video but like at the end of the video he like goes on like a one minute dance off where he's just like being stupid and dancing in front mm-hmm. of you know the camera that is all like fine you know i love seeing someone like that dance and be free but like at the end of a consent video where you send it to white people about sex like it's so off tonally it's like tonally completely off i have no idea who thought that would be a good idea to add that last bit in of the brown gay character dancing like what the fuck mhm i think it also shows that how they always place a personal color as a character that is a side character you see that in the movies that we talked about it's never going to be yeah um, yeah yeah a personal color in the main character and what really put me off is also that they placed a female character as a perpetrator in this so-called education video it's like what the fuck seriously what the fuck when like 99% of perpetrators are are men yeah exactly why can't they just make a video of you know the actual what had happened in a lot of I mean I guess they have to put like a trigger warning um, in front of the, you know, this kind of education video. But honestly, why did I have to make it so... Flippant. I don't know. It just so, it seems yeah, so conservative. And also yeah. kind of just like, it's kind of embarrassing. I, I don't understand how Australi- Australians who do, the, the Australian government, who exactly, were, like, I guess Canberra, right? Which is <laughs> white. Canberra equals white. So, you know, you got these bunch of white conservatives yeah. thinking they know how to, educate Man. the, lo- the yeah. younger generation about these really complex issues. I mean, the best people to to ask about consent, I really, is to go to, like, polyamorous people, people who practice polyamory um, in a safe and um, healthy way, queer people, mm-hmm. um, gay people, trans people, um, anyone basically who's not white or straight, go to them and ask them about um, how best to educate young people about consent because I – tell you they can do it a trillion times better than what the Australian government has shown us. Yeah, exactly. But you know why the the, the government and bureaucrats would not go to them? Because yeah. they're considered as othered and, you know, not the mainstream and those, those tons of shit excuses that really refuses to ask. Yeah. <sighs> it's pretty crazy. Speaking of craziness, I am going to tell you about a book that I read. I started to read this book um, this week. It's by the author and activist, um, Indigenous Aboriginal woman called um, 
Eldar called uh, Veronica Gori. She is the mother of Nayuka Gori, who I think is a fucking legend and, like, genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, her memoir, Black and Blue, is I think came out last month and um, I'm about 30 pages until the end. And basically um, it's divided into two halves. The first half is about her growing up in Australia her grandmother was part of the stolen generation. And then the second half is about her experience becoming a cop in Brisbane. And I just can't believe mm-hmm. how much trauma one human being can endure. Like the first half is just like rape after rape after domestic abuse after domestic abuse after. Like it's just like shocking how much it's like oceanic mm-hmm. in the way the volume of abuse this woman has been put through and then the second half is the torrential amount of um, racism that she went through and that she saw within the cops Um, I swear like um, when I was reading this I was just like wow I wonder if the police force will read this book because like she really is no bars hold no hold bars what's the expression no bars hold no no bar hold hold bars she doesn't hold back yeah. of telling what Basically, happened. Basically, yeah, no holds bar. And when it comes to the reality of what she saw um, when she became a cop mm-hmm. in the police force. Um, yeah, like I'm reading a lot of memoirs by Indigenous and female Aborigines. Like the last one I read was Patty Ree's book, um, which I believe is on my bookshelf somewhere. I would like to tell you the name of it. But, yeah, that was also another like very eye-opening book about um, – the reality of what it means to be an Aboriginal woman in this country. It's just so, um, their lives, I, like, I just read these books and I think, why are these books not on the Australian curriculum? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're still being considered as a minor voice. Victims' voice are never really been centralised because of the power dynamics in our society again, mm. you know, according to capitalism theories as well, what make really makes money becomes more popular the mainstreams people refuses to engage with things and the materials that will saddens them mm. i think a lot of times that is the main reason people don't approach things that will kind of make you kind of make you just like question yourself like yeah. oh have i been part of this you yeah. know abuse to other people yeah. and speaking of that i mean it's very relevant to what we're about to talk about today like how much are we Mm. um, compliant in the perpetuation of inequality in this world by what we buy you know I mean we all have to eat we all have to wear clothes but how many of us actually know um, how our meat was manufactured how many of us know where the cotton on the back of our skin on the on our backs was manufactured you know Mm -hmm. how many people slaved over that yeah, and the transparency of all this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How about you? What did you read this week, Helen? Um, I've also re- am reading, currently reading a book that is written by an Indigenous pe- a person. Um, mm. Shout out to Benson, who's the like the back- backstage director, <laughs> coordinator. Yeah. He's the director of the, of the coming up project Taiwanese that Film Festival. He's the director of Taiwanese Film, and he's also the Taiwanese yeah Film Festival and the coordinator for the upcoming project that will be looking to later this year. So he sent me two books. Uh, in they're both in Chinese. The one, the first one is called um, Hunter School. It's written by. Mm. I can only remember his first name, the indigenous indigenous name, uh, Sakunu. He's uh, from the tribe of Paiwan 
in Taiwan. And this book is actually relatively old. I think it's like published 10 or 12 years ago. That's not that old. I thought you meant like 50 years. Oh, is it? <laughs> when you say relatively old, I'm I don't thinking think it's like I think <laughs> what I'm saying, oh, it's not like published in the last two years. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's okay. my standard. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so his book is um, basically talking about his growing up with his parents. His da- he mentioned his dad, who is a hunter for the tribe, mm. and also his grandparents' memories about the indigenous life before they were forced out of their tribe that where they had to move on to Pindi. Mm. Pindi is essentially urbanized um, area mm. because most of the indigenous tribe in Taiwan, they have been considered as Sandi. They live up in the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he talked about how indigenous society in Taiwan humanized a lot of things. For example, they humanized the living and the big nature mm of amongst the animals mm, I love that and there's one thing that I really liked that mm. he his dad was teaching him how to hunt mm. but also taught him how you should be grateful because how animal provided their flesh for you to sustain yourself and live mm. on um, they always say a prayer when they hunt animal mm. the way that they set out the hunting strategy is that by thinking that a certain animal, for example, there's a type of flying fox in Taiwan. Mm. His dad told him that uh, the flying fox in Taiwan, you can tell by uh, whether or not they went to school, as in that he, he humanized the animals yeah. to consider whether or not they went to school because if they determined that whether or not the animal is dumb, as in not clever enough to be cat you know, to be caught by a hunter or not. Right, right, right. Yeah. There's a lot of elements that is resonated with a lot of indigenous communities around the world. He also talked about the alcohol, the wine culture and arts in the indigenous people of Taiwan. Mm. He also talked about smoke ceremony. I I, I didn't know about this of the Chinese indigenous culture. Mm. He said that the smoke ceremony in in the indigenous community in Taiwan reflects on how they remember their ancestors. And it represents that they they can pass in on their messages, passing on their, uh, what do you call them? As in when they're missing their ancestors or grandparents, they lit up a fire, sent the smoke. It's kind of like signifying that the smoke sends their love or the messages to their yeah, ancestors. I love that. Because it rises up that. to the, into the sky. Yeah, yeah, the heavens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a lot of similarities with Indigenous Aboriginal culture here in Australia. Mm, mm, with true. the smoking yeah. ceremony and things. Yeah. Well, speaking of the media consumption this week, what have you mm. watched? Well, um, my friends and I were trying to deliberate what to do after our big Sex in the City kind of <laughs> adventure. Uh-huh. And um, we started on Girls because we thought that was like a natural trajectory, um, sort of a linear line between one generation of feminists to another, white feminists to another, New York white feminists. And mm-hmm. um, I, I remember sitting through the first episode when it came out in 2012, this is like nine years ago, um, and being like, really 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 hating on Lena Dunham's character like she just seems so self-centered and I hated mm-hmm. her kind of like brash self-centeredness her mm-hmm. her kind of sense of entitlement that she displays in the first episode have you seen it Helen by the way no I think it's that in that okay, kind don't. of category just, <laughs> the sex and the city just don't, don't even waste your time it. yeah okay 
<laughs> well, Sex in the City at least had some sort of flair, um, buoyancy, um, just sort of like um, absurdity and fun to it. But <laughs> Girls is just full of like drenched in solemnity solemn- and seriousness and self-importance, which I just don't have time for. Um, mm. I'd rather like burn myself than watch another episode of Girls. So basically... Um, uh, I said at the end of the episode, I turned to my friends and said, I can't do it. I really can't do it. Um, uh-huh. So um, I, I thought after nine years, I might come across and be more like accepting and just like approach that text because it was such a f- fucking um, like massive cultural phenomenon when it mm-hmm. came out. Like I was yeah. just talking to my friend Kyle and he said like, or maybe it was Andrew who said this, um, like every week, every episode that dropped, there would literally be like a think piece that would, that oh. would analyse each oh, episode. Wow. So it okay. was just such a monumentally like um, f- massive sort of event in mm-hmm. um, sort of cultural pop culture, right? Um, yeah. But again, I saw it on Monday night and I just like I hadn't changed my views. I, just, I <laughs> hated uh-huh. Lena Dunham's character. I hated all her friends. I hated Adam Driver, which is new because I always thought I liked him, but I realized Adam Driver is literally like the same uh-huh. in every. Must be the character. Uh, he's like the same in every movie. <laughs> he's really not that interesting. He's just tall and strange looking, which you know in this <laughs> world, um, yeah, like you can be celebrated for that um, if you're a guy and you're Adam Driver. Yeah, so I like vehemently oppose that, and so we're thinking maybe now to start on Friends, um, which is like also completely white. And I don't know if I could, to be honest, I haven't told my friends this, but I don't know if I could do it because um, I don't want to spend another second of my life watching, like, basic white people um, doing basic things, you know? Mind you, I'm still, most of my cultural consumption is centred on white people. So, for instance, we did start Binge's HBO um, television series, Seven Part, with Kate Winslet and Guy Pearce. East of Mayor mm-hmm. of Easttown, which um which is kind of morbid and solemn and it's kind of um really fucking like the end of the first episode is quite triggering for me. So um mm-hmm. like you can watch it if you feel like being fucking depressed. Um mm-hmm. last night I started Chloe Zhao's um second movie, the one she made before Nomadland, called um The Rider, which is on Netflix. Uh, and that was, you know, a bunch of white people. Um, but it was very beautifully shot and the storyline is mm-hmm. really sad. So I can't fo- completely forego white white people in what I watch. But I'm just very particular about what kind of white people I, I watch. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about watching K-dramas or other, you know, like Asian dramas or Asian movies on Netflix? Because there's a lot of options now on different type of streaming platforms that you can watch yeah yeah i think i should totally get into that you know not not very white best i mean it it might take you a while because i like for myself i can never watch i can watch like maybe one percent of k drama but the rest it was very difficult for me to get into it but i can watch a lot of japanese drama because i don't know it's just the sense that i feel like i'm more connected with the japanese culture right interesting and their script the script are just more interesting, mm-hmm. not lovey-dovey. And I like to watch Japanese detective or there's a lot of um, police force type of drama in Japan that is starting to have more female characters in it. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, so I quite like watching Japanese drama. Yeah. Um, I want to mention the Netflix drama, The Irregular. This is like set in... Britain, Ken just hates UK yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't like stuff. But from um, 
<laughs> uh, but I I want to watch it because the main one of the main character is a Chinese girl. She's what's her name? Oh, she's Beatrice. She's Beatrice in the Irregular. So this drama is basically basically like a supernatural slash sci fi kind of um, genre. Mm. And set in the like late eighteen hundreds, and have a twist within the Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson's um, kind of the story set, set in. So there's a bunch of teenage kids who are solving uh, murder mysteries, and the main character Beatrice, she's got a sister who's like a psychic, mm, I think. Okay. Do you call them like when they they can read someone's mind when they touch, or they can get in someone's brain? Uh, to to see what they're thinking or their memories mm, and things like mm. that. I wanted to watch this one because apart from there's an Asian actor in it, I just thought that it's a bit different to what I watch usually. It It's just a, a combination of historical period and, you know, supernatural kind of genre. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so the girl who played Beatrice, I've got her name here, Sadia Grime. So she's a Northern Irish nationality. She was adopted from China, Changsha. Oh, okay. She's an adoptee. Nice. So again, I think it's a very similar background to what's the girl who played Laura Jean. Oh, Lara in... Condor? Yes, oh, Lara God. Condor. Yeah. God, no comment. But I think her Sadia Grime is a bit different to the characters that a lot of Asian actors and actresses play. Mm. She play a very badass. Right in this drama and she's not your usual mainstream type of appearance as in her features a bit more northern chinese as you have a broader face Uh smaller eyes Uh and broader nose Uh and she seems quite fierce oh nice yeah the only thing that i didn't really like in this drama was that she's the only asian that's it Uh like you don't see any other it's like another um tokenistic (laughs) approach yeah yeah that a lot of, you know, film productions yeah. have, oh, I'm just going to put in one Asia in it and that's it. And you will wonder, oh, why is she the only one there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Speaking of um, sort of like uh, Asians in films, uh, this week was also a massive event for Marvel lovers because it's, uh, it's when oh, yeah. um, the first ever Asian <laughs> star of a um, mega blockbuster came out. The trailer came out. So the movie is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and the, uh, the main guy... Um, is Simu Liu who plays Sumi yeah, Liu. Yeah. Simu and Liu. He, he's yeah. famous for his role in um the CBC television sitcom King's, King's Convenience. Yeah. Which King's Convenience. Yeah, which I mm-hmm. um which I saw one episode of and I didn't really like it, so I just didn't keep going back. But um <laughs> yeah, I guess he's pretty I I think he looks like our brother Kevin. Well our brother Kevin looks but, yeah, he yeah, does. he looks like his face looks like Kevin, our brother Kevin. Or maybe I think my our brother's a bit more handsome. Yeah. Um but yeah, um his body, <laughs> fuck, it's like ripping. Not that I give a shit. Um but the thing is like um I mean we'll we'll put the trailer on the, in our show notes, but uh the uh when I when I I basically saw the trailer on YouTube because every morning now as a like a little treat to myself after yoga um, I like w- go on YouTube and watch like Kate Young videos. Kate Young's like the stylist um, mm-hmm. who styles like Dakota Fanning and M- Michelle Williams and I forget her name. I'm, I'm having a blank freeze. 
um, the singer who I can't remember. But anyway, she's like this really awesome stylist who like has these amazing um, YouTube videos of how she styles people. And I really like that. So I saw that mm-hmm. while I was scrolling through YouTube and I sent it to my family's to family chat. And um, I said, um, the best thing about this film is the, the, <laughs> the thing I want to watch. The reason I want to watch this film only is because at the end of the trailer, you see Aquafina, who's in this film, driving a bus. Uh-huh. So, like, it's, yeah, she's so funny. I really like Aquafina. Yeah. When I when you sent me the um, trailer and I was I – re- what did I reply? I replied to you, like, oh, this is the first time that Jesse actually started yeah, talking about Marvel, Marvel movie because yeah. you never – and people keep saying that, like, oh, I'm surprised you like, like, big blockbusters. Like, when I was telling my friends, Andrew and I are going through Batman, someone was like, one of my friends was like, oh, that's not very you. And I was like, what? Don't yeah, you know that I'm like... it's not very you. But I'm obsessed with, like, Die Hard and all those, like, what I used to, anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think the um, discussion in a lot of, like, Asian diaspora forums on, you know, several social media platforms has kind of went overboard talking about this trailer because it's finally out. Asian, Subtle Asian Trey was talking about this movie yeah. about two years ago when you first started because Simu Lu was uh, in the forum. Mm. So sometimes he would kind of post the update and now we've finally seen it. It will be out in September. Mm. There's already like YouTubers been dissecting um, and talking about the Easter eggs, <laughs> yeah. how it is relevant to the previous Avenger movies, things like that. And I just thought that even the name, it just sounds so, I don't know. I, I always have a very conflictual feeling about Hollywood making uh, movies about other ethnicities. Yeah, why is that? Um, do you feel like whether or not they're not being cultured enough or they've been just making something up. Like the first discussion my friend started about this movie was like, Shang-Chi, okay, what is that? What is that supposed to mean? Yeah, like what character is supposed know. to mean? I don't even know. Like we have no fucking idea. <laughs> okay, that's the name that we know, yeah. but we can't even come up with the actual proper characters for those two words. Yeah. Two yeah, two words like Sun Chi as in we like someone came someone said that, oh is it Sun Chi as in angry, angry yeah. or Shang Chi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just um, doesn't make sense. Yeah, well like why my people son just says why people oh, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> my son just said that, oh it's just some white dude came, screenwriter yeah. came up with, with all the all the all the um comic writer who did the comic, you know, decades ago, must be a yeah, white dude yeah. who just came up randomly, uh, names that sounds very oriental. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to stay within the um, Asian sort of location this morning um, as we're going to launch into, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and talk. Helen's going to take us through mm-hmm. this week's big topic, which is Helen, what is it about? We'll talk about the situation in Xinjiang province in China and I'll be using the New Yorker piece, Surviving the Crackdown in Xinjiang. Um, Yeah, so we'll be right back. Hey guys, so we're back. Helen, um, what, obviously a lot of people have kind of, I think in Australia, maybe dipped in and out of you know, being aware of what is happening with Xinjiang. But um, this week, we are Mm -hmm. looking into it for a lot of different reasons. Take us through what's going on. 
Okay, so I want to uh, start by just sharing this piece from New Yorker Time. Sorry, New Yorker. Um, it's just called "Surviving the Crackdown in Xinjiang," as mass detentions and surveillance de- uh, dominate the lives of China's Uyghurs and Kazakhs, and the woman struggle to free herself. This piece uh, was published earlier this month. I kind of shared it on our Instagram stories and told everyone it only takes 30 minutes to read, yeah. but I was wrong, so I want to apologize that. Because I start reading and I thought, that, oh, it's going to be like half an hour of my mm. time. But it took me over days to slowly digest every part of it. And it's actually on Autumn as well, the oh, audio um, production, which you can... Yeah, you can listen to the whole piece. It's actually longer than two hours. You're kidding! So it comes down to around 30 pages because I I copy and paste onto like the um, Word document so I can read it slowly and make notes. So it comes down to around 30 pages. So it's really, really long. Wait, do you know who wrote it? Uh, Ralph, Ralph, Ruffy Kachindorian. Oh, yes. I I did see that. Yeah, Yeah, I saw it in autumn and I was like, two hours and one minute? Fuck that. Yeah, it's quite long. Yeah, it's very detailed. So the piece, uh, what I'm going to do here, just give, run, give you a Amazing. summary. The piece commenced with an introduction of Anna Sabid. She's a um, confident immigrant from Kutuan. Uh, it is a small city west of Gobi Desert in the part of China that is pretty much tucked between Kazakhstan, Serbia and Mongolia. So it's like a border like a bordering um, city. The introduction continued with the background of Sabid. Her parents were doctors and chemistry professors, so I think they're very relatively well. She was sent to school where classes were held in Chinese Mandarin and they taught her to embrace what she learned there. Um, when Sabid was in elementary school, uh, she and her classmates picked tomatoes for the Bintuan, which is the Chinese military group, uh, by this time, when I was reading it, I was just trying to calculate how old mm. she is. There was a photo uh, at the beginning of the article, and I think my conclusion is that she's about your age, like early okay. 30s. Uh-huh. So she worked away in school, and she excelled as a student. And after graduating from high school in 2004, she moved to Shanghai to study Russian and hoped that it will hopefully to open up a career opportunities to other parts of wow, the world. Russian. Um, she loves Shanghai mm. because it's a very international c- mm. city and she had enjoyed the glamorous life, fast-paced living, but she was still being considered as an ethnic person in the mm. city, specifically when she was telling you know new acquaintances where she was from. The response is kind of like people were shocked that she can speak very well in you know Mandarin mm-hmm. fluently. When she she's starting to get challenges when she uh, when she graduated from college and when she started looking for jobs, she was never really offered interview compared to her like Han right. as in Chinese uh, yep, friends. Yep. Um, she always thought that because of her origin, she was you know pretty sure that she she felt like she didn't really feel discriminated because she never really thought too much into mm-hmm. it. Um, however, um, by chance that she found a well-paying job with an investment company, which was quite exciting, it took her career off, mm-hmm. involving traveling to countries like Russia, Laos, Hong Kong, and she actually enjoyed her job. Um, when she was in Shanghai, her parents immigrated to Kazakhstan. Mm. Why? Um, the, her That's parents random. also urged, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just going to explain. 
Uh, her parents urged her to move there,、mm. but she resisted their pleas and believing that China was a pow- more powerful country and more forward-leaning. And she had enjoyed her life in Shanghai, so she thought that oh, it's not going to be bad for me.、Yeah. So I'm just going to continue to you know enjoy my life and have my work here, you know, traveling in and out of the countries freely.、Mm-hmm. However, in 2009, a fight broke out. Like I didn't know about this news、mm. as well. A fight broke out in a toy factory in the southern province of Guangdong.、Mm. So during the chaos, two Wuguai employees were killed by a Han mob. The next month, hundreds of Wuguais took on the street of Xinjiang capital city Urumqi,、uh, waving Chinese flags and chanting Wuguai. You mean? Do you mean? A call to be seen by do the. Do you mean Uyghurs? Uyghurs, okay, yeah. yeah. I say Wuguais. I don't、oh. know why. It's a different okay, pronunciation. Wuguais, yeah. Uyghurs, yeah. Um, so they had a, like a protest in the capital city of Xinjiang.、Uh-huh. Then there comes the police crackdown. The riots erupted. Hundreds of people were injured or killed, and hundreds were arrested.、Um, around forty Wuguais were present.、Uh, were presumed disappeared, and of course, dozens were left sentenced to、mm. death. Since then, most of the unrest happened in Xinjiang province, and people from the regions have been subjected to tighter scrutiny, and their That's where Sabit's story comes、mm. in. She had a harder. She's starting to see that she had harder time to pass through airport securities in China, and often were questioned more compared to her Han colleague, colleagues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It then comes 2014. She was talking to a friend who moved to Vancouver. She、uh, Sabit flew over to Vancouver to visit her friend and was drawn to the openness and opportunity that she found. Whenever she told a Canadian she was from Xinjiang, the response was was warm but faced with curiosity. She enrolled a business diploma program in Vancouver, and she also found an apartment and remained. And she eventually landed a job as a junior accountant in Vancouver.、Mm-hmm. She fell in love with a circle of friends, and she met a man who she、mm-hmm. loved. Her life seems to to be like she was on a course that she had said, and it was really good.、Uh, unfortunately, in spring of two thousand and seventeen, Sabit's father died suddenly of a heart attack. She found her that she was the only one who can support her mother. She didn't really say that whether or not she had、yeah. siblings, but assumed that she、uh-huh. doesn't. So she decided to stay and fly back. Oh, she started. To, sorry, she decided to fly back to to visit her mother and to stay with her mother. To grieve during this period of times,、um, her boss couldn't let her like take leave for such a long period of time. She was asking for months,、mm. so she left and resigned and asked her friends to just put her things in the storage.、Mm. When they wanted to return to the Kew Town, which is the city that she was born and grew up with, to settle her father's affair. Her friends actually told her not to go because there had been rumors circulating an escalating crackdown on the indigenous people of Xinjiang,、mm. like ethnicities of herself,、yeah. and they've hear they've been hearing like stories and news saying that Kazakhstan、um, traders and Uyghurs have been disappeared、mm. at the、yeah. border. But she didn't think that it was an issue, so. Sabit and her mother drove to the international airport of Xinjiang on the, I think it was, according to my memory, it was on the twenty seventeenth summer, to take a flight back to Kazakhstan, where her mother currently resides、mm-hmm. now. They arrived in the middle of the night, and the building was nearly empty. At the custom, 
The officer inspected her mother's passport and cleared her to go. But when Sabit handed over her documents, he stopped her, looked at her, and then took the passport to the back office. So this is the start of Sabit's traumatic experience of being confined, questioned and by different bureaucrats. Officers circling around different authorities and eventually being sent to the institution that CCP calls the re-education camp. But as we all know, it's more likely to be like detention centers that has model much what, you know, in the history is considered a concentration camp. Mm. So she was actually locked up and been confined for one year and eight months. She was jailed. Um, she was jailed. I think it's jailed, but a lot of CCP will say that, no, it's not jailed, it's re-education okay. camp. But from what Sabit has came mm. out and shared her experience about what had happened in that one year and eight months, it's quite traumatizing mm. about this environments uh, about the rules that she was given of not to talk in certain times and they could not sleep with the lights turned mm. off so they were constantly be monitored like there were a lot of cameras everywhere and there will be a person going to the t- uh, toilet if you they, like the monitoring officers are following you all the time and you've been mm. watched. The whole piece continued with some major personnel that has set up the re-education camp. Um, his name is Chen Quanguo, mm. and the very complicated security system that CCP has adopted to uh, monitor the inmates and the restrict and the authoritative methods um, with the goals to, they say, re-educate the ethnic people, like to stop them then uh, communicate with in their native languages forcing them to learn Chinese Mandarin and picking up Chinese cultures and refuse their request to practice their own mm, culture mm. ceremonies. Apart from that, there was like the, you know, very small, they were living in the small space with poor hygiene, lack of shower. Uh, they were timed to use the toilet and shower. Right. So it, I think essentially they were treated as criminals. Yeah, yeah. And at the very end of Savit. Uh, Sabit uh, staying at that rigid education camp, she said that they were subjected to point system. It sounds like to Jesus. me was like how you treat yeah. kids and it's it's not even a proper system. They were told to uh, say that, oh, if you say something wrong, we're going to deduct yeah. the point. If you uh, do something wrong, we're going to give you yeah. a point. It just sounds so um, childish. You know, you're well, treating an adult... That's basically what it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, this is not nothing yeah. new. Like, you know, the things that Kachachurian it's been years. You know, writes about. Yeah. yeah. Like we we all know this, but yeah, keep keep going. So the piece of writing has divided into chapters of home, like rats, sharp eye, school, confession in Eurasia. Piece detailing the treatment of Sabit that had in the re-education camp. He also presented the programs and the government officials rolled out in order to control monitor monitor and section the ethnic people due to their religion beliefs. What they call that, they're, what they're doing is that ca- countering the discontent of ethnic minorities who have retaliated with attacks in the mm. public because we've seen a couple of news, they so, so-called, they call them terrorists um, of attacking the public citizens. Yeah. But there were initial peaceful protests that were voiced out in streets but was considered as insurgents and that were uh, that were disrupting the public harmony. 
So that's why it had lead to crackdowns of ethnic minorities enforcing them to assimilate to Chinese culture and language. So this is what the CCP is doing and saying. It's not what we yeah. we are saying. It's not in our position of saying that. So they're erasing their ethnic own um, native cultures and languages. Also, they it, it just it, there's a lot of other very you know terrible things that CCP has been doing. For example, like infiltrating the ethnic families, um, even forced Uyghurs mo- a woman to marry a Han right. man. Right. I think that's like an action of trying to culture and blood cleansing. Yeah. That's why eventually there ha- there are institutions coming out and say they essentially what they're doing essentially genocide. is yeah, genocide. Yeah. But um, Chinese authority and CCP are saying that no, we're not doing. We're just making a better life for them and that kind of mm. shit. You know, excuses. Yeah. How did you find this article? It was really good storytelling, wasn't it? I mean, this Rafi guy is like he looks really young, uh, according to the yeah, yeah. internet. He looks like. 20 but he's been writing as he's been working for the new yorker since 2003 as a fact checker um but yeah what what pulled you into this story primarily mm-hmm. well primarily because i think in uh it was in early march that i've read a news that's coming out from taiwan saying that a couple of Taiwanese celebrity mm. been subjected to pro ccp because they are following the steps of a lot of chinese celebrities um, boycotting some mm. Western brands. And I was thinking, oh, what, what's going on now? Because it's nothing new that men lender Chinese celebrities boycotting a certain international brand because they don't follow the, like, the, they're not in the same line as in, you know, following yeah. the CCP idea and things like that. So I look into it and I found out that, oh, it's actually, um, it was started by H&M, Nike. I think what Adidas, Puma, and several of the mm. Western like fashion brands, they have stopped so sourcing Xin, uh, yeah. cottons that coming out from Xinjiang because they know and are aware yeah. of the inhumane treatments that yeah. the people in Xinjiang are experiencing. Apparently, Xinjiang is a um, is a region that produces about a fifth of the world's cotton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So those wow. brands are saying that, no, we're going to stop sourcing it because, you know, there's an inhuman treatment that the citizens there are facing. The mainland, the Chinese are saying that, oh, no, it's not happening, it's not true, things like that. But I just know that last year there was there were two, I think, ABC journalists that was kicked yeah. out from China because they're trying to get into the region I think it was yeah, it was ABC, and there wasn't there wasn't enough clarity. There was no transparency of what Chinese government is doing to produce um, any facts to let the international arena to know yeah. whether or not yeah. that they are doing this. But from what we've seen from a previous journalist that had gained access to the area we know that it's it is happening like this so-called concentration camp and forced labor it is happening the ones who are boycotting the Mm. brands that you know those Mm. celebrity they have canceled their contracts with those brands and i just found that oh my god even some of the taiwanese celebrity has done so so it's very disheartening but it's also understanding in the sense that the celebrities they will go where they can make money yeah right and in the population of i don't know what's the population in china now you know the money you can make in china is probably proportion it's proportionally a lot bigger than in taiwan mm. so 
maybe you know they attracted to the money um so that's why I looked up and then this piece popped up yeah how does it make you think about your consumption when it comes to what you buy at the shops for like and where you get your clothes okay so I think forced labor we're not like on this episode we're specifically talking about Wuguas and Xinjiang but we've not all know that there are forced labors happening yeah. all over the world. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think as a consumer, you really have to look up and it's your own individual responsibilities, I guess. I mean, the corporations like what the, the ones I've just mentioned, they're doing the good. I guess they're doing the, you know, it's a good indication that they know that they would not source from where that is of forced labor. Yeah, yeah. So it gives us a good indication of what kind of companies is more social responsible. Mm. I think it's also up to individuals to understand. And, you know, this is what we're doing on our podcast and we want to kind of bring up the awareness to allow people to think more of where you're getting your stuff from. Mm, mm. Yeah. So HMA actually announced, made that announcement later last year. Mm. It wasn't publicly being seen into like March this year because it was being amplified in the Chinese, uh, what's it called? I think it was called Chinese CCP Lee, as in the youth. It's kind of like a youth liberal party group or something like that. Mm. So there's a youth group that was pro-CCP in China Mm. that amplified H&M and Nike has been put on their notice and they start saying that, oh, okay, we're going to... not using, we're going to boycott these brands yeah. because they're not in line of our values. ideologies. Yeah, their values of the Communist Party. Yeah, right. Yeah, so and it's not the first time. It's not the first time the Chinese citizen has done so. Chinese citizen has done so to the uh, some Korean and also Japanese companies as well. Mm. Um, I yeah. often think about how um, it seems like it's sort of, for me... This idea of where we get our clothes is there's a kind of correlation to being aware of where you eat your food, where your food comes from. And like, Mm -hmm. I think that if everyone actually sort of like saw how milk was produced, for instance, would probably not drink milk or like, you know, seeing being inside a slaughterhouse would probably like not eat as much meat. And I wonder how many of us would actually like. Be, turn a blind eye deliberately when we go into Kmart and think, oh, I just need a white T-shirt. And it's like literally $2. And how many of us actually stop to think like what that actually does? Maybe we don't think mm-hmm. about it that much because it's so cheap, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I don't really, I, I'm still, I can't think of a way unless I like literally grow my own cotton and then like, you know, go make the machine like buy a machine that would make the cotton into something that I can then sew and then sew my own clothes or whatever I don't know how I can participate as a human being in Sydney without like being compliant or complicit in the sort of machinery the cog of like this Mm. um, capitalist system of um, manipulation and exploitation of cheap labor Mm. yeah Oh, I found the the piece. It's uh, written by uh, it's on New York Times. The piece is on New York Times. 
giving us like a background of all these debacles. So the piece on New York Times, it says that um, the ramp up in political brinkmanship between China and the West. So on 22nd of March, Britain, Canada and European Union and United States announced sanctions on Chinese officials in an escalating roar over the treatment of Wuguais in Xinjiang. Not long after, a screenshot of a statement posted on in 2020 September by H&M citing deep concerns about report of forced labour in Xinjiang and confirming that the retailer had stopped buying cotton from the growers in the region. Begin the So the statement began circulating over Chinese social media and the fallout was fast and furious. Um, there were calls for boycott and H&M products were soon missing from China's mo- most popular e-commerce platform, including Alibaba, Tmall and JD.com. Mm. Then the comments started and also there was microblogging in the group like Communist Youth Lead, it says that it's a very influential Communist Party organization. Within hours, the big Western brands like Nike and Burberry began trading for trending for the same reason. And it's not just consumers who are up there in their arms. Influencers and celebrities have also been severing ties with the brands. Uh, even video games are bouncing virtual looks created by Burberry uh, from the platforms. So what I know that they're boycotting china has always been really good at boycotting stuff yeah, as in yeah. once it's on like they remove it very very quickly yeah. and the shops are i don't know like been shut down immediately yeah or something yeah like that. yeah they have yeah. their ways so what i was thinking you know how is this all regarding regarding of individual choices um, it kind of led me to think of what the Australian government's response to all of this. Mm. So I looked up on it. So I found out that an independent senator, Senator Rex Patrick of South Australia, has actually tabled a bill called Custom Amendment banning goods produced from Uyghurs forced labour uh, bill 2000, um, which is uh, tabled in December last year. The intention of this bill is to ban the importation of products that are produced by the forced labour in Xinjiang by the Uyghur people. Um, I think Australia and China's trade reality, re, sorry, relation has gone down to since 2018 mm. when Australia has announced that Huawei, a Chinese communication company, cannot have their 5G yeah, system yeah. entering Australia mm. due to security reasons. And we know why. Mm. Like I just explained it, how they monitor their own ethnic people. Can you imagine yeah. <laughs> if they have their 5G system in Australia, how much scrutiny that we'll be facing yeah, you know yeah, totally so it's understandable that given that you know i've just mentioned with those kind of advanced system and also the heavy censorship with china's media and particularly monitoring you know certain people like who is to say that ccp wouldn't start aspiring the other asian diasporas in australia mm, yeah like yeah. us yeah, like us, exactly, yeah. Like I said, um, I think it was the last year and the year before when the um, riots broke out in Hong Kong, um, I mentioned to my friends saying that I don't think we'll ever, at least next couple of decades, I think I don't think we'll be able to visit Hong Kong and China because of our yeah. position. Like we're very anti-CCP. There, there might be, you know, some kind of issue like what I've just shared, the story of Sabit. If we travel through Hong Kong, you'll never know that your passport might be confiscated. You'll really? be taken question. That's a bit concerning because yeah, I do want to go to China, 
in the next few years. Yeah, we all want to. We all want to go, but it's just the the position right now. It just it doesn't feel very safe. Was it your woman's agenda was covering? Wasn't there like a Chinese Australian journalist Chen Lei? She's been detained in China right. at the moment, right. and there's no. They haven't given any reasons of why、right. she's been detained, and she can't come back to Australia and、mm, things like that. That's really frightening. Yeah, it's really, really frightening. Yeah, that's like really. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, really eye-opening to hear you like lay it out like that, and to sort、mm-hmm. of like also hear about the the great research you've done, Helen, in putting together this this um this show. Today's show, and also looking at any responses from the Australian government, it's very interesting. It's very interesting、mm. what the, our, our government's relationship to to that country, that powerhouse, really is going to be for the next few years. Yeah, I mean, considering the power that China has gained in the past decades, it's for me it's a worry. Like when a nation becoming so unapologetic. Unapologetically, you know, about its ambition for greater global leadership,、mm. they don't care of the consequences, and they're willing to sacrifice other ethnicities, culture,、mm. and languages to them.、Oh, it seems、yeah. like just nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's really horrifying. That reality.、Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, my computer is at ten percent, so I'm about to.、Uh, I'll, I'll have to. Okay, so I'll have to quickly wrap、yeah. it up. So what I would suggest is that for our listener to you know check up some of the Uyghurs、uh, Instagram. There's free Uyghur、um, Instagram page, and you can get some、uh, information that is more transparent from through there. Apart from that, what do we need to mention before we finish up?、Uh, the twenty fourth of April, the three p.m. this Saturday、uh, rally. This Saturday, yeah, for Stop Asian Hate,、yep. Jesse will be one of the speaker. At the rally,、yeah. so come and meet us and say hi. Come and meet us and say yeah, hi. Yeah, there's a really great lineup.、Um, it's a visual for、um, anti-Asian sort of、um, sentiments、um, and the recent crimes against Asians in the West, heightened by COVID and all that. So yeah, come if you're in Sydney. We'd love to see you. Yeah, yeah, come and say hi. Yeah. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. If you have enjoyed our show, please give us a five star rating and share with your friends. You can find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under. Send us a DM of, of feedbacks or discussions you would like us to have on our show. So that's the end of our episode. We'll chat to you next time. Yeah, see you next week when we're probably gonna <laughs> rave about、um, either the Sydney Writers Festival. We'll talk about that. Yes. Or we're going、uh-huh. to bitch about Mother's Day. <laughs> Helen's、oh, favorite topic. Bitch about Mother's Day. Helen's、yeah. favorite、oh, topic. <laughs> It just never ends. <laughs> Helen just hates being a mother. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. You don't. <laughs> okay. okay. See ya. Bye. Bye. This is Hannah from Red Handed. 
Would you like to watch something scary? Like, really scary. So scary you'll hide behind the sofa. Then you need Shudder. Shudder is the ultimate streaming service. If you like heart-racing thrillers, the mind-bending supernatural, and a good old gut-wrenching horror, discover an unbeatable collection of Hollywood classics and critically acclaimed new genre films that are sure to leave you feeling satisfied, if a little freaked out. Sign up now at Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Shudder. So good, it's scary. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. I'm Ned Fulmer. And I'm Ariel. We're from the Try Guys, and we have a new podcast called Baby Steps. It's an irreverent parenting podcast because parenting is not perfect. We just had a newborn, baby Finn. I got pooped on. Ariel has pink eye. <laughs> I don't. We talk to some experts. We even bring you 4 a.m. thoughts from our garden. Oh my gosh, it's literally 4 a.m. Just to go back here, I thought I got poop in my eye. Yeah. And that causes pink eye. Parenting is a mess. We're a mess. You're a mess. Join us every Sunday. Listen to Baby Steps on ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.